Oh, I 
minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Malachi, 
Now I shall be 
Shabbat <laughs> Shalom 
Let's 
J.M. in the A.M. Good morning. It's Friday, Erev Shabbos. How do you like that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Mordechai Shapiro with Enod Milvado, the Lel Shabbat medley done by Micha Gammerman. Lachado D, you heard both Yisrael Werdiger and Isaac B. Tone. Aish with Shalom Aleichem and, of course, Regesh. Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to a Friday on this January the 22nd, day 9 in the month of Shvat, the year 5781. Tu is Thursday, and we will celebrate together. Me, you, Mayor Weingarten, all together. Tu special on Thursday. It's Erev Shabbos Parsha's bow with candle lighting time at 441 in New York. 441 is your official candle lighting time. Make sure you know when things start where you are. What time is sunset? 5.02. So most people would announce 4.44, right? Yeah, most people announce 4.44. We always announce a drop early. So we're at 4.41. This way, uh, if anybody's relying on our candlelighting time in the New York area, they'll be uh, assured to be on time and not, God forbid, late, even by a minute. So 4.41 officially, JM and the AM candlelighting time for New York. And make sure you know when things start where you are. And as I said, Thursday is Tu Bishvat. And we're already celebrating. Yeah, what does that mean? I have no idea. But we're already celebrating. Uh, I noticed all these social media posts about Tu Bishvat and all the delicious uh, fruit and food that people are getting ready for. So we're already celebrating. 39 degrees with 59% humidity. Winds are west at 8 miles an hour. Sun partly cloudy later on and a high of 45. Clouds tonight, low 27. Tomorrow, partly cloudy, a high of 33. Supposed to be very, very cold and windy in this area tomorrow, so bundle up as you walk to shul uh, tomorrow morning. Yerushalayim is at 51. We're at 39 in New York as we say good morning on a Friday era of Shabbos here at JM and the AM. Malcolm Holmline just over an hour from now with a weekly update. We'll discuss the events of the week here at JM and the AM. Um... Both Harry Rothenberg and Rabbi Yudin will have words about Parsha's bow. And full day, of course, on our amazing network, including the Arab Shabbos show at 10 a.m., the Arab Shabbos music mix all afternoon. Uh, the final hour coming up at about 3.45. All of it brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. All of it brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem who makes such delicious wine and wonderful grape juice and so many other products. Kedem sponsors our, uh, they basically sponsor our Thursday and Friday at the Nahum Siegel Network. I mean, they're with us all the time, but toward the end of the week, boy, are they with us. So a big thank you to everybody at uh, at uh, Kedem and uh, get ready for some amazing and wonderful programming. Speaking of programming, Kosher Halftime Show number 8. Starring Eighth Day. We have not been secretive about that. In fact, we've been pretty open about that. Eighth Day will be starring in the uh, Kosher Halftime Show February the 7th. After this weekend, we will know who the participants are in the game that goes around the Kosher Halftime Show. Um, <laughs> we'll find out which two teams will be playing that day and who's going to entertain you while you wait for and after you recover from watching the Kosher Halftime Show. That's after all the goal, right? Um, utilize the game as a as an afterthought. The kosher halftime show more important. 
Uh, Coach Halftime Show brought to you by the wonderful people at the Rothenberg Law Firm. Thank you to Rothenberg family, injurylawyer.com. And um, uh, that happens on February the 7th. And we will uh, we'll be constantly reminding you. Then I can tell you for sure. We'll be constantly reminding you as we get closer and closer to that date. Eitan Katz. Next with Baruch Levine. This is JM in the AM.
Leif Tahar with Draw You Kron, Lachadodi. I heard Eitan Katz and Baruch Levine with Acho Senu here at JMM. Friday morning on this era of Shabbos, Kendalani at 441 in the New York area. Want to wish a very happy birthday to Claire Grunwald. Listener Silky on the app uh, informed us that Claire is uh, celebrating a big birthday today. I am not going to guess. I have my suspicions, but I'm not going to guess the number. But Claire, I am so happy to wish you a happy birthday, and I want to thank you for your all your enthusiasm about the work we do here at the Nahum Siegel Network, uh, the support and encouragement you've given us over the years. Uh, I don't know of a better ambassador uh, to tell the Jewish world about what we do than you. And I thank you so much. So Claire Grunwald is celebrating a big birthday today. And I say happy birthday to you from all of us here at JM in the AM. Silky says she can't wait for the kosher halftime show. Me too. By the way, as I said yesterday during the live lunch, the kosher halftime show, very, very early 2021. A show that you could probably only do in January and February of 2021. Kudos to Mayor K for that. No joke. He's pretty amazing, that Mayor K, that's for sure. And he's been working very hard on this kosher halftime show. That's also for sure. <laughs> More coming up. It's JM in the AM with Duvi Shapiro. בתוך השקט המשמין, החשבי מחשבה. שמתוך הריסות של חלום ישן שמת, אני יכול כאן
Yakov Shweki off of Those Were the Days. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web, and AlchemSingle.com, and the Single Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Friday morning on this era of Shabbos, Galitza in the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. Kosher Halftime Show presented by the Rothenberg Law Firm coming up on February the 7th. We'll make it available around halftime of the big game that day. And a big thank you to the Rothenberg Law Firm, InjuryLawyer.com. Happy birthday going out to Baruch Lunzer. Baruch Lunzer, our wonderful neighbor and congregant at the Mizrahi. Um, happy birthday on his 36th birthday yesterday. Galay Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next. גלי צהל השעה שתיים. שלום רב, כאן גיא נובוטני עם מה שקורה עכשיו. על רקע הפרות הסדר והעימותים הקשים הלילה בבני ברק, קורא מפכ"ל המשטרה, רב ניצב יעקב שבתאי, לממשלה, להחמיר את העיצומים נגד המוסדות שמפרים את הנחיות הקורונה. רב ניצב שבתאי הוסיף, אני מצפה מכל אדם השומר חוק במדינה לגנות את אותם פורעי חוק, ולסייע בידינו לעקור מהשורש את התופעות הפסולות והמסוכנות הללו. דבריו של המפכ"ל מגיעים, לאחר שמוקדם יותר היום טען שר הבינוי והשיכון יעקב ליצמן, כי אירועי הלילה הם מסע נקמה פראי ותוקפני מצד שוטרים מוסתים, כלשונו. השר ליצמן גם הוסיף, אין כל הצדקה לשום מעשה אלימות מכל סוג, כולל כלפי אנשי משטרה העושים מלאכתם. ידיעה שריכזו כתבינו בן נצר והדס שטייף. המשטרה פיזרה היום התקהלות בשני בתי כנסת בביתר עילית. כתבנו שחר גליק מוסר שאדם אחד נעצר לאחר שתקף שוטר, ועשרות מתקהלים שחסמו רכבי משטרה פונו מהמקום. אישה בת 76 נפצעה באורח בינוני לאחר שרכבה התנגש בקיר במרכז מסחרי ברחוב אבא אחימאיר בתל אביב. יחד איתה נפצעה קהל אישה נוספת והן פונו על ידי צוות מד"א לבית החולים איכילוב בעיר. באשקלון רוכב אופנוע בן 23 נפצע בינוני לאחר שנפגע מרכב ופונה לבית החולים ברזילי בעיר עם חבלות בגפיים. נשיא המועצה האירופית שארל מישל פנה לנשיא רוסיה ולדימיר פוטין וביקש ממנו לשחרר את מנהיג האופוזיציה אלכסיי נבלני שנעצר מיד כשחזר למדינה בתום חמישה חודשי החלמה בגרמניה שם הורעל לפי החשד על ידי הקרמלין. מישל דרש מפוטין להמשיך בחקירה מלאה ושקופה של ניסיון ההתנגשות בנבלני. מחר תתקיימנה ברחבי רוסיה הפגנות למען שחרורו שמוגדרות על ידי הקרמלין כלא חוקיות. הונגריה חתמה היום עם רוסיה על עסקה לרכישת מנות החיסון ספוטניק 5, זאת אחרי שאישרה את החיסון. כתבת חדשות החוץ מיכל גלנץ מוסרת שבכך הונגריה הופכת למדינה הראשונה באיחוד האירופי שמאשרת ורוכשת את החיסון הרוסי. תחזית מזג האוויר, בהיר, בערי הצפון והמרכז תנשבנה רוחות מזרחיות ערות, תחול עלייה קלה בטמפרטורות והן תהיינה רגילות לעונה ברוב האזורים, מחר תחול עלייה קלה נוספת בטמפרטורות. ואלה זמני כניסת השבת, פרשת בו, בירושלים ב-4.24, בתל אביב ב-4.45, בחיפה ב-4.33, ובבאר שבע תיכנס השבת ב-4.47. ואלה זמני צאת השבת מחר, בירושלים ובחיפה ב-5.42, בתל אביב ב-5.44, ובבאר שבע תצא השבת ב-4.46. לכל מאזיננו, שבת שלום. אלה החדשות.
JM in the AM. Mordechai Ben David with Od Yeshvu. Here's the official announcement we got from Baruch's family. To your neighbor and fellow congregant at Mizrahi and from the OL Base Ezra group home, Baruch Lunzer, happy birthday on his 36th birthday yesterday. Baruch, happy birthday to you from all of us here at JM in the AM. And as I mentioned earlier, I was uh, informed via the app that today is uh, Claire Grunwald's birthday. No greater uh, supporter, enthusiast, and ambassador for JM in the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network than Claire. And with that in mind, I want to wish Claire the happiest of birthdays. Apparently, it's a milestone birthday. Listener Silky uh, put it as a big birthday. I'm not going to guess. I'm just going to say happy birthday from all of us here <laughs> at JM in the AM. Harry Rothenberg has words about uh, Parsha's bow. Here he is at JM in the AM. The commentators explain that the ninth plague of darkness occurred in two different phases. During the first three days, the Egyptians could not see. During the second three days, they couldn't see and they couldn't move. They were completely immobilized, which led to a big problem for them. If they couldn't move, how were they able to eat? How did they survive those three days? To answer that question, let's consider what the Jews were doing during that second phase. They were told during those three days to go into the homes of the Egyptians to look for their gold and silver to see where it was hidden. So that soon thereafter, at the time of the Exodus, just before they left Egypt, when they asked the Egyptians for their gold and silver, if the Egyptians would deny owning any, the Jews could say to each one individually, oh, that's not true. It's in that shoebox at the bottom of your closet. It's in that fake wall in your den. So imagine, the Jews enter the homes of the Egyptians looking for gold and silver. The Egyptians can't stop them. They're totally helpless, blinded and immobilized and starving. And the Jews now encounter their helpless tormentors, the people who have enslaved them and brutalized them, killed them. What do they do? Whack them over the head with baseball bats or two by fours? No. Incredibly, the Jews fed the starving Egyptians. God was giving them, our ancestors, a chance to remember that kindness has to be in our DNA. This was the birth of the nation. We were reminded and had an opportunity to show that we have to do kindness even for those who least deserve it or don't deserve it. Think back to the first Jew, Abraham the paragon of kindness, sitting out in front of his tent in agony, recovering from a circumcision at the age of 99, yet he's looking for guests to host. And then he's arguing with God, trying to convince God not to destroy the wicked inhabitants of the city of Sodom and its surrounding cities. One generation later, Avram sends his servant Eliezer to find a wife for Avram's son, Isaac, Yitzchak. And Eliezer devises a test. Whichever girl comes and brings water for me and my men and my camels, that'll be the one. When Rivka hears that the test was not of her bank account, nor of her looks, but just of her kindness, she says, that's the test that the servant of this family came up with? Sign me up. I want to join the Jewish people as Yitzhak's wife. And thousands of years later, it's still in our DNA. Think about the Palestinian terrorists who have been treated in Israeli hospitals. Note the fact that any time there's a disaster anywhere on the globe, Israel is the first or among the first nations to show up with assistance, with 
people and supplies and medicine and know-how. Note how much more significant the percentage of philanthropy comes from Jewish dollars as compared to our incredibly small, nearly insignificant percentage of total world population. Note the incredible number of chesed organizations, one after the other, fulfilling so many needs for those who need help in Jewish communities. We know you can't take your bank account with you when you head up to heaven, but you can take along your good deeds. In the end, no matter what anyone else will tell you, otherwise, nice guys finish first.
JM in the AM, Bowie Kala, done by uh, Micha Gammerman here at JM in the AM. Am I right about that? <laughs> is it Micha Gammerman? Yeah, it was Micha Gammerman. Harry Rothenberg before that, and a big thank you to the Rothenberg Law Firm. They are sponsoring the um, Kosher Halftime Show, presenting it on February the 7th, InjuryLawyer.com. InjuryLawyer.com, and a big thank you. Uh, to the uh, Rothenberg family and to Harry Rothenberg for uh, treating us to a, a wonderful Dvar Torah every Friday morning in the 7 o'clock hour here at JM in the AM. Um, okay. Um, so big thank you for that as well. JM in the AM at 19 minutes after 7 o'clock on this Friday morning era of Shabbos. Tubishvat special will be Thursday. Make sure to be tuned in. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Ableton Hyman makes traditional kosher delicacies, pastrami, corned beef, salami, and more. Old World Classics, beef fry, kishka, and more. And a shout-out to those who will only use A&H kishka. I'm hearing this from more and more people, how it's like the number one kishka out there. And modern, better-for-you kosher products, including no-nitrate-added, reduced-fat, and reduced-sodium hot dogs, plus many other unique items. Visit the website, kosherdogs.net, and try A&H today. You'll be glad you did. Yeah, I think I do have a little bit of a cold. Not sure where that came from. Malcolm Holine, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He will join us coming up at about the 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time here at JM in the AM. Uh, Rabbi Yudin, of course, at 8.15 with Parshas Bow and and um, all that coming up here at JM in the AM. Here's Yaakov Shweki at JM in the AM. Oh, I love this song. Composed by my good friend, now Tzotabrit, Baruch Levine.
In the AM, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, by request, David Gabe and uh, Yom Zemachubad. Yaeli Greenfeld had Sice. You heard Vahu Kaylee done by Yaakov Shweki here at JM in the AM. A reminder that our friends at Arts Grow, they give you 10% off with no minimum and free shipping when you use promo code radio. Go to artsgrow.com, always use promo code radio. And right now, this week, uh, in honor of Rai Bamberger's appearance here on JM in the AM, all of Rabbi Moshe Bamberger's works, all of his amazing books, including the new one, Great Jewish Journeys, available at 15% off, no minimum free shipping with promo code radio. So everything written by Rabbi Bamberger, go to artscroll.com, check it out, 15% off, no minimum free shipping when you use promo code radio. Do it. You'll be glad you did. Big shout out to our friends and partners in Torah. With a reminder as we get to Parsha's bow that if you would like to be part of a group, or I should say part of a pair as mentor or student that uh, studies the weekly Parsha or anything else under the Jewish sun uh, on a weekly basis, you want to become a mentor, very inspiring experience. You want to become a student, very inspiring experience. Check out Partners in Torah. Go to partnersintorah.org, partnersintorah.org, or 1-800-STUDY-4-2, 1-800-STUDY-4-2. And then the number two. 
Malcolm Homeline coming up. We've got our weekly update and plenty more on a Friday as uh, we continue at JM in the AM. RJ2 with Rachem. Friday morning on this Arab Shabbos Parsha's bow, candlelighting at 441 in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Coming up at 10 o'clock this morning, it's Mark Zomik with a uh, encore presentation of the Arab Shabbos show, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Arab Shabbos music mix all day long, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Final hour at about 345 Eastern time, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. That's right. They uh, make sure that we can be your soundtrack for an Erev Shabbos. No need to touch that dial. Just keep it with us all through the day. And you'll be glad you did, frankly. Uh, there's no better way to uh, go into Shabbos, no better way to uh, to get set for the um, 
for the big day than with us here at the Nachum Siegel Network. By the way, at 9 o'clock, Naomi Nachman is joined uh, right after JM and the AM. Naomi Nachman has Donnie Schwartz, co-founder and CSO of My Passover Listings, and Goldie Seabrow of Iced by Goldie. They'll discuss and make the hottest food trend, chocolate bombs. I have watched people do this, by the way, in person. I have watched people do it online. I've never seen it be successful. <laughs> I've never seen it work. So I don't know. Maybe it's a trend that'll be a fleeting trend, or maybe it'll stick around for a while. Who knows? Uh, I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. If you want to check out thousands of articles uh, before Shabbos about Israel and the Jewish world that you could print out and read at your leisure, go to JewishWorldReview.com. During these times especially, there's plenty that they write and the plenty that they um, that they post from different uh, commentators and columnists that are of great interest during these crazy times that we are in. JewishWorldReview.com, check them out and enjoy. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us uh, each Friday for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you as always. We hope everybody is well. Big week of uh, transition in Washington, D.C. for the entire United States and essentially for the entire world. What did you think of the transfer of power that finally took place on Wednesday? Well, it was in keeping with tradition where there's always the peaceful transfer of power. And um, because of COVID, obviously, the structure of the events was changed. And I guess recent events affected it also certainly changed the climate. The president made an appeal for unity, and now we'll have to see how he implements that. Um, and we've already begun then the the um, ratification process for some of his nominations to see if they can get the approval of Congress. Um, Mr. Blinken, who's the candidate for Secretary of State, testified this week, as did Abraham Haynes. Both mentioned Jerusalem. Uh, he spoke about the recognition of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. He responded to the question of Israel's racist state, denounced that. He um, also um, he addressed some of the uh, other issues in, in that vein and in many other areas. But that's now, and then we'll have to see what the implementation is like. Um, much speculation, uh, not really recently, but I would say over the last couple of months, about whether President Trump might run again. What about the Vice President Pence? Do you think that after everything that happened toward the end of the administration, he still remains one of the front runners for uh, president uh, for the campaign four years from now? I certainly think he has to be considered as such. I think he, he came out relatively unscathed, but I don't know that he has the base for uh, a run, and he'll face stiff opposition, I assume, from Nikki Haley, from others <clears throat> who may run, Ted Cruz, um, are all, many possibilities. But the party first has to reorganize and rehabilitate itself. Um, they have a, the off-year election in two years, for, which will, could determine again the oh, yeah, control point. of Congress, which is very important, right. and um, because the margins are so narrow. Uh, usually, that goes against the, the incumbent government, the party of the incumbent government, but that's not necessarily true anymore. I think everything changes uh, over time, and especially at this time. And we'll have to see whether things will be done to rein in some of the the excesses of the stuff that was done on the internet and the 
you know, extremist groups from both sides, and especially for us, the anti-Semitic stuff that is rampant in the in on the internet. If there would be steps to control it without limiting free speech, um, and see what happens when the students get back to campus, when you know many things have been delayed because of the COVID nineteen situation. Right. Um, but you know they say there's pent up demand to travel. It may be pent up demand to demonstrate. <laughs> I thought that demand already had been met, but you might be right <laughs> that there'll be more demonstrating out there and protests. I didn't even realize that, uh, that certain cities, Portland, Seattle, had suffered such terrible damage during the inauguration uh, protest earlier this week. Did. Mm-hmm. We didn't really feel it that much here in this area of the country, but uh, out there. Um, again, it was reminiscent of what happened uh, not only during the summer, but in their their cases uh, for a period of many, many months. Uh, a list of many pardons from uh, President Trump. What do you think of the pardon of uh, Avi Ancela, who, if I if I have the story straight, was the recruiter of Jonathan Pollard? Right. Um, look, it's many years. He, he it uh, was a request from officials in Israel. And it was granted. I mean, I don't think it has great significance. There are other people right. yeah, I, I would have liked to see uh, pardoned. But, uh, you know, it ends in era, especially with, with Pollard now being in Israel. Is that uh, is his a name that always appeared yeah. on the requests over the years? And, and, again, only because President Trump may have been more sympathetic to the cause or to, you know, to, to follow Israel's request. He went ahead and did it. Like, were you aware of this being a name on that list for, for decades, you know, in the White House? No, not decades, but I think most of the time it was raised quietly. Hmm, uh, the Pollard issue, it was generally assessed that you build a backlash in the earlier years when you go too public. But I can tell you, I've sat with one prime minister for another in the White House when they went to, to make the case for, for Pollard, right. uh, and uh, Sella's name came up. Um, I can't say that it was a top priority, but I think now... You know, he's old and he's right. he wants to be able to travel, I guess. I always forget about that, how close there was, uh, how close it was uh, that President Clinton would pardon Jonathan Pollard. I guess if it's the Clinton era, we're talking about the mid-90s, right? And that was... Yeah, I made wow. the request at, a, at the Christmas party. I spoke to him about it and he stepped out of line with me and wrote it down. And then afterwards explained that the... Um, that all the agencies were against it. That five out of five that he had it cleared with came out against it. Pollard um, would have been in Israel 25 years earlier, approximately. Wow. Well, at least he would have been out 25 right. years earlier. Yeah, right. We don't know about Israel, right? Correct. But he would and, have... and one of the last things Rabin asked for me just a couple of days before his assassination was a message to Clinton about uh, Pollard. Wow. So Three that's, nights before. So that's uh, the end of 1995. Wow. Mm-hmm. So long ago, it goes back. It goes by just uh, in a flash. Unbelievable. Uh, we should make note, and, and look, it's no secret that this audience—not not God forbid you—but this audience has had a complicated relationship with Senator Schumer. But we should make note that now he holds, and therefore, um, uh, as a Jew, he has the the highest office in this country ever achieved by a member of the Jewish faith, and there, th- that has to be acknowledged. We can't let this go by without acknowledging that. Uh, uh, whatever ceilings there were in existence, and I know obviously Joe Lieberman, when he ran for vice president, had shattered that. Uh, but but still, the fact that he achieved this should be noted. Absolutely. We had people in high positions, Eric Cantor before, uh, Joe Lieberman and others, as you mentioned. But um, this is uh, a remarkable achievement. He's been waiting for it for a long time. 
he was my congressman who, was, who represented our district in uh, in Brooklyn. And um, I mean, we've had ups and downs over the years, but certainly to acknowledge this is is important. And and you know, there are a lot of articles appearing about how many Jews got appointed right. to key right. positions in the government. You know, they're talking about Dominion and stuff. Yeah. They don't even have uh, most of the names are not even there yet on the list. They don't know, but. Uh, I, I think it's not smart. I don't think it's something you trumpet. They're not there because they're Jews. They're there because they have the knowledge base, the, the qualities for for the job. That fact that because they were Jewish didn't um, didn't uh, obviate their opportunity was is a positive message about the administration and hopefully about America. But uh, you know we often pay a price when, and when people don't like a decision that a Jew make. They 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 treat it differently. Um, than uh, when others. So while it is quite remarkable, and you you look through the list of key positions, uh, I, I don't think it's it's something that we should be trumpeting in the press. Well, interesting. I remember a book growing up called The Jewish Connection. Do you remember that? I do. <laughs> and, and I mean, I guess that's a little bit different. It was a thin book at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that was a book that, that trumpeted all the accomplishments. But I guess that's different. I hear what you're saying. I guess that's different. This is being done more uh, from an angle of look at the influence that the Jewish community has in Washington as opposed to just recognizing great achievements by Jews in different areas. I, I hear what you're saying. And uh, if there are policies we don't like, they'll say, well, what are you talking about? Right. You have all these Jews doing it. Right. Yeah. I, you know, it's so funny. After these four years, I forgot now we're going back to that. Where and and you when you visit the White House and you visit the Capitol, you're going to have the same thing again. Where, you know, where you're to be, you're going to be told, you know, well, why are you, why are you, um, you know, yelling at us when it's your own people that are going ahead and and uh, administering, you know, these types of policies, or or, or well, these well, types of opinions. Well, those are the people we actually would be meeting with. So if they're if they're complaining, they're yelling at themselves. But um, look, I think as I said, the comments in the hearings this week were were positive sent a good message. The very fact that the PA complained about it and protested it is a sign that it was it was good. But <laughs> but true. there are other signs, you know, that they will reopen a Palestinian presence in Jerusalem, representative uh, presence, that they will maybe change the laws on the on the settlements that were put in about the pro, uh, labeling. I mean, there are a lot of things that that could right. go by the wayside. I don't believe that you're going to see a massacre of these things, and then it's going to start right off. And um, you may have won a couple decisions, but I don't think that the intent now is to, to rush into anything, including the JCPOA. Right. It's funny. You don't have it easy no matter who's in office. You know? Always. <laughs> it's really funny. People think it might be right. easier for you. We never get a vacation. It doesn't right. matter. You know. If the left rules in Israel or the right rules in Israel or the same you know, two possibilities here, it doesn't matter. No matter what the uh, the matchup is, it doesn't seem to ever go smoothly. But, but our goal is that, that if the support is from the right and they're very supportive, then we have to shore up the support on the left. Right. the left, we have to shore support up on the right. That's we can't true. afford to write off significant portions of the American people. So whether it's Christian or black or Hispanic support, whether it's young or it's old, whatever, our job doesn't change because there will always be somebody who's on the outs and somebody who will say, oh, you're associated with me. You remember when Harper was the very pro-Israel prime minister right. of Canada? Sure. And I said it because it's easier for American audiences to talk about that more right. dispassionately. And the pro-Israel numbers sunk right. because if you were against Harper, then you were against Israel mm -hmm. because he was so closely associated with it. Yeah, unbelievable. 
By the way, I have no evidence for this, but I, I have to mention it because uh, it, it was somewhat disturbing. You saw what happened this week, the investigation of National Guard's National Guard troops with extremist right. ties, etc. And, and I get that, and I understand that there is a level of importance for that security-wise. But don't you wish, and again, I have no evidence to the other side, so this is just speculating, but I'd like your comment. Don't you wish that sometimes they would spend some time or more time investigating extremist ties uh, when it comes to... Um, uh, when it comes to radical Muslims and and those who might be part of the U.S. Army or the National Guard, and some of them, of course, as we know, have become violent and actually have you know murdered people in, in the process of uh, of um, uh, uh, of their um, enlistment in, in in the army. I mean, d- d- I, again, I have no evidence that they really don't vet them, but don't you get the feeling that they need to spend more time vetting them as well? The French government actually this week called on the U.S. to do more to fight Islamist extremism, which is extremists, which is really quite strange coming from yeah. France. But they're on the forefront, you know, paying the price for it. I think that various administrations have taken different stands. The people who head the Department of Homeland Security, it is not that the issue is ignored. You saw that an Iranian was arrested this week, a journalist something else, academic, who, for, who turns out was an employee of the government of Iran and feeding lies into the media over many years. So it isn't that no one does it. Right, I know there point. are people who focus on these issues who are frustrated that there isn't more action sometimes uh, on it. But, you know, we have such a big country, and the Internet has changed everything. When you go into the dark web, as I have, when you go and see how much manipulation there is, how many thousands of websites, uh, how much um, how much anti-Semitism is, is being manufactured from state-sponsored sites, from extremist sites, from all over, and you can crush a thousand and you know, another two thousand appear. And the, the, um, the, it's a whole new challenge and threat. And uh, the fact that a uh, cyber security, uh, an Orthodox woman is a cyber security expert in the National Security Council, maybe they'll call more attention to it. Mm, hopefully. By the way, can you send me a link to that dark web? How come I can ever access this stuff? Your pictures there. I saw it many times. <laughs> it told everybody, if you want to get the insight, tune in there. You get the, all the secrets of the conspiracy. But I really want to know. I want to know what's going on and how is it that you have access and I don't seem to have any. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long story. <laughs> anyway, I expected an email later today, if you don't mind. Um, so is Dan Shapiro the odds-on favorite? He will be United States ambassador to Israel? I don't think so. Oh, you don't uh, think, think so? He, I think he is a candidate. Uh, I don't know where to point up of, uh, of a favorite candidate. Oh, wow. There are several uh, that I know of. And um, I don't know what his intent is. Uh, there are many who think that, uh, and I've spoken to him about it but a long time ago, uh, that think he wants a, a policy position, something more significant. Others uh, indicate that he really wants to stay in Israel, that his kids... You know, I think going to the army, one of them in a, in a year or so, or there's they're in school there, and he, one of the reasons he stayed was to let them finish. But he has, you know, he's working there, and I think if they find an appropriate position at Washington, he probably would take that as well. But the, the, the decision hasn't been made. Did you see that the United States embassy briefly included the West Bank and Gaza in their Twitter? Head? I don't know that that's true. That may have been a total yeah. hoax. Interesting, because they made it, and it could be just somebody there put it up, and you know, as a joke or the parting gift or something, hmm. saying this is the change. So, 
I haven't found anything serious. You don't know what to believe these days anymore. That is true. That's why you have the dark web to check out. <laughs> they, say, they say don't believe everything you read. Now you have don't to believe see. anything you read. Don't believe anything you see at this point. Or and especially, especially with all the memes and everything. But if I believed everything that I saw, then Bernie Sanders would be everywhere at this point. Uh, <laughs> that is the funniest thing. I need that. Uh, right. <laughs> Unbelievable, I'll tell you. Uh, the quintessential old Jewish man. I thought I would see him in a, with a background of the Catskills. Uh, <laughs> with that you didn't picture. see that one yet? It probably yeah. is out there already, I would assume. Uh, Gilad Erdan, uh, do you assume that both as Israeli ambassador to the United States and Israeli ambassador to the United Nations, he will get along fine with the Biden administration? Well, I think he'll, that as Ambassador Washington, he'll get along fine with the ambassador to the UN, but I don't know that... Um, he will be able to keep both jobs. Uh, remember, we have an election coming in oh, right. in March, right. and that could all change again. He could either go back to the U.N., because in November, originally, it was supposed to change anyway. Right. And the former head of the Air Force was supposed to become the ambassador under the change of government with um, Blue and White. That obviously is not happening now. Right. But um, we'll have to see whether this remains policy. I, it's not a good idea to have one ambassador to both places. It's too important work to be done. Uh, I think it's an, an interim measure at most. I wonder why they didn't just appoint somebody else already, or as you're saying, because of the whole blue and white deal, it would have been unfair of Netanyahu to, to choose somebody else's ambassador? Well, that was er- earlier, yes, but I think for right now, he doesn't want to do anything before the election. Right. He doesn't want to do anything. Uh, he doesn't want to touch anything no. at this point. <laughs> and, and we see how much, uh, you know, this week was so so much evidence in the release of, of uh, changing alliances and disruptions in, in the election. But I don't mean Israel. I'm talking about the PA. <laughs> it's just been an amazing week to watch uh, Dachlan releasing information that Abbas stole $2 billion, embezzled $2 billion. Dahlan obviously was a high-ranking PA official who escaped to Jordan and then has been living in the UAE for a long time, and I actually met him there. He uh, has the backing of the Egyptians and the Qataris. He's um, been the liaison sort of to to Gaza for them and for Israel, but he's challenging Abbas, who's now in the 17th year of his four-year term, and he will be... um, uh, you know, we're going to get into a very heated election. For You have three stages. You have election for the um, Palestinian National Council, Palestinian Legislative Council, and, the, um, and for uh, president. And they're on different dates over several months. So he may come back? He may, he may go back and challenge him actually in an election? Right. So... You know, they all threaten. His life is being threatened, as are uh, others. Yeah, and how would each one of each one of the candidates has their own malicious, uh, seriously. Uh, yeah, and but how would he make it back? That's what I'm saying. Like it would be almost. Well, he can a- get back. He might be arrested. He might be threatened. Right. He might run the election in absentia, and um, which has been done in places. Uh, has it been won? He unite the, uh, the Gaza and the West Bank vote. I mean, there are a lot of... Um, One second. Uh, ha- has an election like that ever happened in abstention where the candidate won, not being in the country? It, not there, but yes. In place, it has? There have been, There's a you, precedent you can, for that? You know, where, where you have somebody who was arrested or had a leave and the people vote them in. Yeah, I, I can't name the names, but I know that it's happened. Who's the Abbas favorite to take over for him? Abbas. No, but seriously, is there anybody... like uh, he, he'll, he'll be a candidate? Yes. What is, what is he, like 82 years old? 85. And he'll be a candidate again? 
yet. Wow. And th- that's the issue. I mean, obviously it's being uh, discussed, but he needs it because that's where his kids have become 100 millionaires, each of them, or billionaires collectively, and it's a kleptocracy. And, you know, if, you, if you're out of government, they then expose all these things. Uh, so he he wants to stay in power. I'm sure there are elements that want to keep him there because it's, you know, the easiest option. The divisions are so great between the different uh, factions and different uh, uh, parties. And people should read the stories about, you know, what Dahlan uh, reveals about Abbas, including the plot to kill him, uh, because they obviously taped uh, a lot of this stuff. And uh, and they hear uh, Sari Nuseba, that many of your people will remember, Fata, uh, describing Abbas's behavior as mafia conduct. So there, you know, there's a lot of dissension from him and about him already, so we, we will have to see. It's it's um, it's very contentious, and I guess being neighbors of Israel, they learned from Israel well about how not to run elections, people <laughs> 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 elections. But well, well, they're, they're they're ahead of the game. They already have three elections coming up, so they're way ahead of the game. <laughs> four, yeah, or four elections. No, not Israel. I'm talking about the PA. They already have right. three scheduled. Like well, they, they don't even parts of one election. No, I know. I'm kidding around. <laughs> right, but but um, it's true. That's why they don't have them in the middle. They say Israel has the the lock on the election, so that's why they didn't have one for 15 years. <laughs> it's America's one and only Jewish moment in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Round the world, the web, and NalcolmSingle.com, and the NalcolmSingle Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honlines with us. What's his relationship with Hamas right now? Are they are the PA and Hamas in a peace treaty right now? I wouldn't say a peace treaty. I think there's a tolerance level right now where they serve each other's purposes, but they obviously have different goals. Hamas wants to take over, and the goal of, of Abbas and his rationale and hope I guess the base in which he hopes to get support from outside is that he is the only one who can beat Hamas from uh, winning. As you know, they won in the last legislative council election. Uh, so, you know, they they are, um, I think, in a stage of tolerance would be an exaggeration even. <laughs> they're, and, somewhat, they're somewhat getting along. <laughs> right. Um, well, they have respect for his age, I guess. No, that might be. No. Did they both? Did they both? Did they both? The PA and Hamas congratulate President Biden. I'm being serious. Did they, did they have public statements congratulating him? Uh, Hamas, uh, uh, the PA, for sure. Did, but they also were very critical of Blinken's testimony, right? And you know, already put out uh, markers, um, trying to take advantage of the things that they believe that they have an opportunity to to gain uh, right now. But most of all, they want money restored, and they want their Washington office restored, right. and uh, the presence in, in uh, Yerushalayim, and um, servicing the Arabs in West Bank, and... I mean, it's you know, likely, it's likely like those that. things are going to happen, right? It's likely. It's certainly a very possible question. Yeah. is timing. The question is right. what conditions, what do we get in return? Do they demand anything in return? Right. What does the PA want? And he'll hide behind the election. He'll say, "Oh, if you press me too much, you know, Hamas will win, and therefore you got to make concessions." That that's what they always do. Some of the things that uh, uh, President Biden already did. I mean, the the list is pretty well known. What he did on Wednesday and Thursday this week, in terms of executive orders and reversing certain things in the prior administration. But some of the things we can't get a handle on, like. Um, the UAE, right? So they they do they they go about with this purchase from the U.S. of the F-35s and drones. The uh, weaponized drones 
Mm-hmm. If it wouldn't have happened before Trump left, would those sales have been canceled? Would would the Biden administration have dealt with the UAE differently, especially in light of the fact that obviously it was one of Trump's great achievements? Like, is that something that we know about the possible reversal when it comes to Iran? And we'll talk about that in a minute. But is this also one of those things that can be reversed by the Biden administration? I'm pretty sure it can. And um, I mean, I haven't read the contract, but I've done, none of these contracts are you know, viable. And I think um, they rushed to finish it because at the least it would take months to get a new one done. And they want these planes badly. And the administration has a, seems to be more tolerant towards the UAE than they are towards Saudi Arabia um, Egypt, others, but UAE, they throw into it, you know, on human rights and other grounds. Mm. So I think that their concern was that it would at least take a long time to get the deal ratified anew, or get a deal anew, and so they rushed to sign it. I mean, I know that it's only two days old, the administration, but, you know, there there was hope that Saudi Arabia and others would follow suit with the whole Abraham Accords. Is, is there any reason to think that that still can't go forward, or there won't be much enthusiasm for it coming out of Washington now? I do think it can go forward. I think that there are uh, opportunities for it. Um, I know that uh, Indonesia was one of the countries that they uh, were looking at uh, for a possibility of relationships. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think Pakistan will happen. We've seen the huge demonstrations there against uh, Israel this week. Uh, Saudi Arabia could still happen. I think they're waiting to see what happens with the uh, new administration. Do they, you know, if they're going to pay the price, internally for renewing relations or establishing relations right. do they do they get something from the administration will they push them to do it and you know become a basis for better dialogue it's a lot that goes into a decision like this russia sent the message to israel this week that they want to handle syria israel of course had some action um in the in you know northwest of israel uh, this week. Uh, is this going to be a a different type of relationship in terms of how Russia and Israel insist on how each other deal with Syria now that the administration in the U.S. is different? Or is this a completely Russia-Israel topic and it doesn't matter who the administration is in Washington? Well, it always matters who the, who the administration is and people always look to keep their options open. Uh, but more than that, Russia is a key player in um um, Syria and the region generally, but particularly Syria. You know, they fired 40 missiles against uh, ISIS in, in in Syria. They attacked them, and they uh, they have the bases. They have the control over the missile system and defense air defense systems. They have a great capacity there and presence. And the thing that brings them all together is wanting to see Iran out. And there were reports this week that uh, Gabi Eisenkopf, the former chief of staff, and uh, a Russian general and um, and a Syrian, a top Syrian military person met in um, in an Air Force base, the Russian Air Force base, wow. at, uh, in Syria. Uh, again, I'm not saying it took place. I'm telling you what the reports are. Right. And they discussed the removal of uh, Syria of Iran from Syria. Israel insists that it's not just Hezbollah, the militias, and the Iranian presence, the stopping of the. Um, you know, the shipments of all these weapons, especially the precision guidance systems that go to, to uh, Lebanon and enable them to affix it to missiles, to 100,000 missiles they have, plus maybe 150,000. 
uh, and that will give them the ability to target specific sites, whether it's the offshore oil rigs or Demona or other places. Right now, when they fire, they don't know where the missiles land, including on their own territory. So the, um, uh, the, th- the three of them really would get together to cooperate on that and have the shared interest, and Israel wouldn't have to strike as often. The Israel strike in the la- strikes in the last uh, couple of weeks were very effective and very extensive. Uh, and, of course, there's always protests about it, but, you know, they, they are careful who they target. And it's in the Syrian government's interest because they don't like the Iranians and don't want these groups there, um, and the Russians. And so, you know, you have a confluence of interest. The question is, how does it play out? How far do they go? Did that meeting really take place, or was it something somebody intended? Uh, I think that there's possible reason to believe that it actually um, – uh, did, many Iranian fighters we know were abandoning their pro-Iran militias and switching to Russians and uh, forces because they feared the Israeli retaliation attacks. So that um, that's another sign that internally people uh, forces are beginning to to recognize that uh, it's dangerous to to be associated with the Iranians. So if Syria understands it's in their best interest to have Iran and the Iranians out, do they need military and physical help from Russia and Israel to make it happen? Like why has Iran is so integrated into into Russia. There are probably 150 places where they have troops and bases. They have underground facilities, they have storage facilities and manufacturing facilities. Israel has struck there, you know, a couple thousand right. times over the years, and whatever they took out. Now we know that they have underground facilities, which um, which they're using to store missile parts and uh, uh, other um, uh, systems. So that they to get them out, it's, it'll be a big issue, and they're not going to leave easily because they see this both as part of the Shiite Crescent, which is critical, and they're afraid that after that Iraq would be next. Uh, so. Uh, we also saw that the EU started coming out against some of the Iranian militias. Um, and, you know, it's a lot of things that are in flux at the, at the same time. You know, they announced that they can produce a half a kilo of 20% uranium in a month. That sets the Europeans back. Unfortunately, they don't have the Kishkas to take the right steps. But you had Operation Great Profit, which I think I mentioned. You know, we had these very extensive military drills of all kinds, and they fired missiles, ballistic missiles, into the Indian Ocean, landing 100 miles from the carrier group, the Nimitz carrier group, and 20 miles from a commercial ship. But they were demonstrating their ability to target vessels, and they put mock vessels there, uh, and that their missile technology, their nuclear capacity, all of these things are improving all throughout this time, so their breakout time will be much reduced. Unbelievable. Um uh, I may ask you this question every week for the next God knows how long, but uh, everyone wants to know what your impressions are now about that Iran deal. I mean, are there any signals yet from Washington about what direction they're going to go in? Is it inevitable? Is it going to take a long time? Will there be a lengthy negotiation? What do you see in terms of uh, Biden doing, President Biden doing what he did with so many other things this week in terms of reversing what the Trump administration did? Will he, in fact, go ahead and do that with the Iran deal? Well, it's speculative on my part, but I do not believe they're going to rush in. Avril Haines, the new director of national intelligence, said that very clearly, that they wouldn't rush into an Iranian deal and that there will be consultations with Israel, uh, Blinken said, and and the Arab states before they go back into the deal. 
Uh, and, I, and I tell you, when you see the statements, Rouhani said Trump died while the deal lives. And, and oh, Zarif, oh. The, 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 oh. that's right. And you notice that you didn't see a headline in any of the papers of when a, a leader of another country can make that kind of assertion. And Zarif, the foreign minister, said that the, the Iranian missile program will not be subject to any negotiations. He said, we have the deal. It's in paper. You, you, they have to come back and deal with it um, on the deal that we had uh, uh, agreed. Right. And um, he said the deal was on uh, life support, I think was the term he used. So he said uh, they have to act on it or, the, you know, no deal. But, of course, they need to deal desperately. And the the economic conditions, everything in there is is terrible, and a lot of it's contingent on on uh, getting every getting U.S. back and relifting some of the sanctions and restrictions. They're demanding compensation for the sanctions of past, which can't happen. I hope, um, and I have to get the EU, the Europeans, to to really step up to the plate. They talk about the Islamic extremists, they talk about Iran, but they want the deal. But the problem is, they want it too badly, and they they negotiated poorly before and they can't press the u.s to do it again uh you know benny Begin pretty well aren't you surprised yeah. that he's now joining gidon sar's party i i always got the impression that he just did not like the entire israeli political scene that is correct so. uh, but he doesn't like netanyahu maybe more or he doesn't he just uh you know he's been on the outside for a long time yeah you know he's, he's a very honorable person um, I don't know that his father would have approved of this, but would have understood. And it's not leaving Likud because Sire is essentially a break off, right. break away from Likud. Uh, and I think he he, in, he before endorsed um, breakaways within Likud. So it will give his name obviously brings some weight and credibility to the to Sire's ticket. Um, but nobody should shortchange uh, Netanyahu. And you know we're, we're headed quickly towards that election. It's not far off. And a lot is at stake. And if they are able to finish the vaccination, if they're able to do other things, that will be very beneficial to him. Um, we'll have to see. Are people too tired of these elections to go to vote? Will they? How much will the individuals make a difference? Uh, I get calls from people who want to join various parties. So it seems that there's a sort of free-for-all. To yeah, you're being, and, you're being se- and you're being serious when you say that. Uh, absolutely serious. Unbelievable. <laughs> That's funny. Um Finally, yeah, and that's uh, two months from tomorrow. The tenth of Nissan would be the day of the Israeli election. Uh, finally, any update? I mean, I, I see the uh, the lockdown continues. The no, second, it's not on a Saturday. No, no, two months from tomorrow right. on the Jewish. I just calendar. want to make sure your audience right. knows that the tenth Ben Brock. The tenth of Nissan, which this year is on a Tuesday. Yeah, you don't have to right. remember. You don't have to worry. Um, the Segar, the lockdown continues. I mean, it's amazing. The the rate of vaccination continues to go up, and it seems the rate of infection continues to go up. But I'm assuming that the that the assumption in Israel is that if they give it another week or two, they should see a a drastic shift in numbers. I would guess, uh, based uh, in terms of infection and mortality rates. As we see patients is running out, we see in the, the quarantine hotels, the, the film that everybody has seen that gets out about the, the unrest of the people. Um, I speak to people. It, it's just psychologically very depressing. The economy. Yeah, here to too, by okay. the way, not, not just Israel, here too. Here too, but I'm talking about in Israel right now because right. the crackdown is much more strict. Right. Uh, and, and universally applied. Police are everywhere. You can... You know, you're not allowed to really go out even for walks and stuff, but if you're walking your dog, it's all right. So they have this picture of five chassidim, each one holding one <laughs> string tied to a dog. <laughs> Same dog. And, 
Uh, Some so dogs a need a lot of, of humor, attention, as you, as you know from the sites. But the um, I think the the tether is going shorter and shorter for uh, the people's tolerance for all of this, and the hotels, especially, they they want to get operative, but certainly by Pesach. Uh, I can't imagine what it'll be like if they can't. And so the government is under a lot of pressure. The people are, are pressuring. Uh, but they, if they see the numbers, and it, you have to cross a thir- certain threshold of inoculation towards what they call, uh, you know, group immunity or herd immunity. Uh, nobody knows for sure if that works, but at least they're they're heading towards that very quickly. And then they can start lifting. They're talking already about dates to lift some of the restrictions. Can't believe almost a year later we're still talking about this. It's unbelievable. This is unbelievable. And I hope everybody takes care. And even if you got to the vaccinations, still wear a mask and still take care. This is it's a strange disease, and we don't know all the rules, whether you can be a carrier, even if you have antibodies, whether you, you know, can catch uh, one of the new strains that are around. So we plead with people just to continue the restrictions. It's not so onerous. And if they think they're getting away with something by going to weddings or, you know, big gatherings, un- uncontrolled big gatherings, they're not. They're, they're putting themselves and everybody else at risk. Have you been um, observing people observing the rules at social events over the last few weeks, or you'd like to see them observe them a bit more? No, I'd like to see them observe it a lot more. I, I go don't go to social events generally, and I, I, I don't go to indoor events at all as a rule. Um and unless they're, you know, really strict in, in observance, because it's 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 a be real risk. You know, and it's you don't have a right to do it. Yeah. You know, it's a issue there too. That you know, you gotta You gotta guard your your soul, your health, your body, yeah. and everybody else's. Hundred percent. I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. Thank Malcolm Holine. Malcolm Holine is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays here for the weekly update on JM in the AM. Yes, we have an obligation. And finally, so many of the rabbis who are not being outspoken about uh, the importance of being responsible, whatever that means. Just, you know, acting responsibly are finally speaking out um, and reminding people about just how important it is to, in fact, be responsible. Yeah, can't let our guard down now, not when we're this close, please God, please God, please God, to uh, getting life back to normal. J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning on this era of Shabbos, Parsha's Bow, candlelighting at 441 on this era of Shabbos. Before we get to uh, Rabbi Yudin, just want to mention our friends at shopeichlers.com and remind everybody that shopeichlers.com has everything. World's largest online Judaica store, everything in the world of Judaica awaiting you. Check out the site, all the categories, the sfarim, the books, and of course, all Judaica across the board. And they have something that uh, many others do not have. Same day delivery to Borough Park, Flatbush, Williamsburg, Crown Heights, Staten Island, Queens, Five Towns, Far Rockaway, Muncie, Monroe, Teaneck, Lakewood, Toms River, Jackson. Check it out. ShopEichlers.com. Check out their same day delivery and enjoy. ShopEichlers.com, proud sponsor of us here at the Nahum Siegel Network. This time each and every Friday morning, every hour of Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader emeritus, congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nahum. Good Arab Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parsha's Bow. Whoa! With Parsha's Bow, we are off and running. 
with number one, mitzvos that are given to the Jewish people as a people, unlike in Sefer Bereshis, where we have the first three mitzvos of the Torah, that of Pruervu, that of Bris Mila, and the Gira But those three mitzvos were given to, we can say, the Jewish family. Here, now in Mitzrayim, we have the Jewish nation, and it's being forged with the um, receiving and actualization of mitzvos. And so in this week's parsha, according to the Chinuch, we have 20 mitzvos, 9 positive and 11 restrictions. We begin with the mitzvah of the Jewish calendar, whereby our calendar is both lunar and solar, right? We have the lunar calendar, whereby the months are governed by the moon, and therefore there are 30 days in a Jewish calendar. Or, if the Rosh Chodesh was not declared by the Bezdin on day 30, then automatically on the morrow it becomes Rosh Chodesh. The lunar calendar is... 354 days long, and at the same time, we need to have our calendar at sync with the solar calendar, because instead of losing 11 days each year, and after 77 days, we're going to be celebrating Pesach in the winter time, and the Torah charges in several places, the Pesach must be in the spring. For that reason, we have a 19-year cycle, seven leap year, and that way the lunar and solar calendars are in sync. You have in this week's parsha the many mitzvos that preceded the actual Yetzias Mitzrayim, focusing around the um, Korban Pesach, the idea that the Egyptians worshipped the Lamb. We took their God, slaughtered it, thereby showing the Egyptians, and more important, showing ourselves that there is no validity to their God. Taking their uh, God, the, the Lamb, and roasting it in its entirety, and eating it in Mitzrayim, before Chatzos, why? Because at Chatzos, mid the night, is when Hashem killed the firstborn of Egypt. So we were celebrating not what did happen, but we were celebrating what would happen. Celebrating Emuna, celebrating our belief. The parsha ends with the mitzvah of Tefillin. I'd like to focus this morning on a Pasuk, chapter 12, Pasuk 42, in talking about the night of Pesach. The Torah calls it Leil Shimurim. It is a night of keeping Hulashem for Hashem to take them out of Mitzrayim. Now, what is that all about? So Rashi tells us a beautiful interpretation that 
Shehoyu HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem was Shomer. He was keeping this, to use our understanding in his capital H mind. Umetzapelo, and Hashem was yearning, pining, waiting for it, anxiously. L'kayim haftochaso to fulfill his promise that he had given to the Avos, Lodziam Me'eris Mitzrayim, to take them out of Egypt. And Rashi goes on to say that this concept of he was Yoshev Umitzapeh, that he was yearning for, this is just like we find earlier by Yaakov Avinu, when Yaakov hears the dreams of Yosef, so what does it mean Yaakov kept this in mind? No, he was waiting as well for these dreams to be actualized. I'd like to share with you an exciting idea of the late Mashkiach of the Mir, Rabbi Yeruchim Perlo, who, um, excuse me, Reb Yeruchim Levavitz, and he uh, has a very exciting concept, and that is as follows. Rashi reminds us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave a haftacha, gave a promise to Avram Avinu back in Bereshis, chapter 15, at the Bris Ben Absarim, that they would be avodim, they would be ger, they'd be strangers, they'd be slaves, they'll be persecuted, be'eretz lo'lahem, in a land which is not theirs. And afterwards, Hashem said, I will take them out, and I will bring them to the land, etc. Now, this was a haftacha. This was a promise that Hashem gave Avram. Why does Hashem work in such a way that He gives a haftacha, that He gives a promise? Why not simply come and do for us the good that He has in mind? After all, He controls history. He directs destiny. And so why is it necessary to have the haftacha, the promise? And he suggests something very sharp. And he says as follows, that the haftacha, which is the promise, the word of God, gives man an opportunity because to what? To believe in it. Oftentimes, when Hashem gives a haftacha, the people are not yet worthy of that haftacha, of that promise being actualized. So what does man hopefully do? By his very belief in it. I believe in what Hashem said. Hashem said He would take us out of Egypt. As we find in Parashas Shmos, that when Moshe comes and performs the signs for the Jewish people, the people believes, the very belief of the people. And even earlier, as the Torah says in the beginning of Parashas, 
What does that mean? It means that Yitzchok believed in the Haftacha. And Yitzchok treated the land of Canaan, even though he never left it, even though this would be the home of the Jewish people, but he was a ger because he was actualizing that haftacha. When Yaakov got a little bit vayeshev, too comfortable, he had to get out because we need to actualize the haftacha. And by doing so, we become worthy of the fulfillment of that promise. An amazing idea suggests Reb Yerucham. And just as this is what the Torah is teaching us, was, quote, the game plan in Mitzrayim, that because we believed in Mitzrayim that HaKadosh Baruch Hu would take us out, that very belief in itself helped us be redeemed. It gave us merits in God's eyes. I'd like to suggest that just as what happened in the past, we're to learn from this week's parsha, Emir Hashem is going to happen in the future. What does that mean? It means that, as we know, all the Nevi'im prophesied regarding Yemos HaMashiach. We recite every day in the 13 Ikorei Emunah, the 13 basic principles of our faith and the 12th of that third of those 13 is anima min be'emuna shlema i believe with perfect faith bevias hamashiach that there will be a mashiach and even though he may delay im I anticipate and I wait for him every day now we heard about such tzaddikim such as the Chafetz Chaim that literally went to bed at night time with those special marching boots by his bed believing that oh whether it'll be in the middle of the night or I'll wake up in the morning and he's coming and I have to be ready for that very special moment, living with the destiny. The question is, how are we to try to take this emuna and to do as we're taught from this week's parsha? We say it at the Pesach Seder, V'hisha Omda. Right, What is Vihisha Amda? So we always take it to mean Vihi is the promise of Hashem's redemption. And I'd like to say that it's not just His promise, it's our partnership with Him in our Emunah. So what might we do in order to bolster and make stronger our Emunah? Now, there's no question about it. In terms of perspective, in terms of a broad stroke, we should remember what we find in Pirkei Ovos, chapter 4, verse, or uh, chapter 4, Mishnah Chaf Aleph, whereby Rabbi Yaakov taught, Ha'olam Hazer, this world 
is Domele Prozdar. It's like a lobby, the antechamber, Bifnei Ha'olam Habwa, before the world to come, right? People used to go to banquet halls, and please God, when the pandemic is over, we will once again. All right? And so you walk inside first to the lobby. There might be a mirror or two to check how your tie is, etc. But that's not the main thing. It's to go further, further inside, down the hall, etc. You come to the main thing. Uh, this world is that lobby. Okay, so what does he say? Rabbi Yaakov, prepare yourself in the lobby. So that you will go come on further into the banquet hall. Now, how do you prepare yourself? Well, by prioritizing, by realizing, am I more in, forgive me, focusing on this worldliness or on next worldliness? Well, you might say to yourself, it's very hard to focus on next worldliness because we are bus of a dumb, and the answer is, you're right. So I'd like to suggest one very basic, important point, and that is as follows. Our recitation of brachos. Chazal were so good to us that they instituted brachos that accompany us throughout the day. Think about it. We all need to use the restroom. Think about it. When we come out of the bathroom and we wash our hands, the one minute or two that we pause and say the bracha of Asher Yotzar, that could, should be a religious experience. I don't need a minion, I don't need a talis, I don't need a Beisach Knesses. I need to stop for a moment and say more than just thank you Hashem for a healthy, functioning body, but thank you Hashem for entrusting us that within our physical body, and we're reminded of our physicality after we use the bathroom, that you've emplaced within our body a wonder. What's the wonder? That you put our soul within the body. Amazing. And that is one easy way. If we pause and say the bracha slowly, think of the words, it's a beautiful connection of reminding us I can and should connect with Hashem. And second of all, every time you hear somebody else say a bracha, say amen a drop slower and think as to what you're saying. They are having a cup of coffee. They said, Shakol Nyebidvoro. And you're answering amen is saying, I am not only agreeing with what you said, and I second the motion that he has created everything. No, it goes deeper. The Amen is the Shoresh of the word Emuna. I believe that through the Amen to his coffee that I'm saying Amen to, I'm reminded of my attachment. 
to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to my belief that just as there was the Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, so too there's going to be the Geula Hashlishes. Shabbat Shalom to all. Ma
Shabbos <laughs>
a.m. in the a.m. Friday morning on this era of Shabbos. Shlomi Toisig with Likras Shabbat. Shabbos who done by Barry Weber. Era of Shabbos Parsha's bow with candlelighting time in New York at 441. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Uh, Thursday is Tu B'Shvat. Join us, me, Mayor Weingarten, and you. Join us for the Tu B'Shvat special this coming Thursday. As we get set for what will be a celebratory, a celebratory, I should say, celebratory Tu B'Shvat. We'll make sure it is um, this coming Thursday here at JM in the AM. February 7th, Kosher Halftime Show, brought to you by the Rothenberg Law Firm. Uh, getting ready, starring eighth day, getting ready for the big Kosher Halftime Show. That'll be on the 7th of February. Get set, everybody. Thank you to the Rothenberg Law Firm, InjuryLawyer.com. Um, happy birthday, Atara, from Nana and Saba. And uh, this listener says, don't forget to wear your bow tie this Shabbat. I guess it's Parsha's bow. And enjoy Kichel and Kasha Vernishkis. Oh, Kasha Vardishkas in the shape of a bow. I get it. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, <laughs> today's a Siyum Anavi for the OU Nachyomi schedule. Mazel Tov to the Masayimim. They'll start Suvim tomorrow. Mazel Tov. Uh, happy birthday to Baruch Lunzer. Mentioned that earlier. Celebrated a birthday yesterday. Happy birthday, Baruch Lunzer, my fellow congregant at the Mizrahi and the gentleman and neighbor from the OL Base Ezra Group Home. Celebrated his 36th birthday yesterday. Happy birthday, Baruch. Happy birthday to Claire Grunwald, one of the greatest supporters of JM and the AM and the Nachum Siegel Network. Always, always encouraging us. And I am told that for Claire, it's a big birthday. I don't know what that means. That's what listener Silky told me. It's a big birthday. So we say Mazal Tov and happy birthday, Claire, from all of us here at JM and the AM. All right. Candle lighting at 441 here in New York as we continue on a Friday morning era of Shabbos. And I thank you all for tuning in and joining us. And uh, let's see here. Here we go. Yerachmiel and Aaron Razel, they're next at JM in the AM.
Sham the Am from the Secret of Shabbos album here with uh, Yerachmiel and Aaron Razel. Sham the Am, remember, Matis has JM Sunday this coming Sunday. Matis with uh, JM Sunday this coming Sunday, beginning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Make sure to be tuned in. Matis is live every single Sunday. Pretty amazing. Make sure to be tuned in this coming Sunday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Also, Saturday Night Seagull with Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. That happens um, tomorrow night starting at 9 p.m. all here at the Nahum Seagull Network. Time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM in the AM.
brothers and sisters in Israel. We are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSegal.com and the NachumSegal Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. There we go. <laughs> what a way to wrap up the week. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, everybody, for making it such an amazing week. We're back starting Monday morning at 6 a.m. Don't forget, we've got amazing programming. Naomi Nachman is up next with um, Table for Two, Erev Shabbos show, which is already archived, by the way. That's uh, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. That's at 10 a.m. Eastern time. By the way, the final hour is going to be uh, archived within the next few minutes. So those of you who have the final hour at a different time than we do around the world, you'll be able to access that very, very soon. I thank Avrami for that. Have a fantastic Shabbos, wonderful weekend, everybody. Until Monday, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.